And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, Stephen Holder here with Zach Heaver. We're back with another episode of 1% Better, your Colts podcast from The Athletic. And we're looking forward today to Sunday's matchup. Colts getting back to work after the bye. They face the Detroit Lions on the road at Ford Field. Uh, interesting matchup of the four and two Colts, three and three Lions. Uh, you know, I think two teams that are trying to figure out what they are and, and who they're going to be this year uh, for various reasons. And so I think this is one of those matchups where uh, the, it may tell us a little bit about the Colts, not because the Lions are necessarily a juggernaut, but just because they are a very capable team. Uh, so I don't know. How do you see this matchup, Zach? I think this is – it's not a trap game. I think we talked about this in our last podcast. I don't think this is yeah. a trap game, but it's also it, – it resembles to me the Cleveland game. This is a game where I don't know that the Lions are the better team, but if you don't show up, you will lose, period. I've been saying that all week, and and I know the Colts feel the same way inside the building. Like, they cannot overlook anybody. Like – uh, the, the Detroit Lions offense will light it up if, if you don't get pressure on Stafford. They're averaging 26 points a game. You know, that's the strong point of this team. The defense is a little shaky and hasn't been good until the last couple of weeks, but the offense with Stafford can light it up anytime the Colts play an elite quarterback, which they haven't really seen yet this year. Who's the best quarterback they played? Hey. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to go through right. The Gardner Minshew, Kirk right. Cousins, who was terrible, Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield. Baker, Honestly, but Nick Foles I mean, was on. bad. Right. Um, you can make a case Joe Burrow is in the conversation. They haven't played an elite quarterback. Matthew right. Stafford is, and that's that's troubling. So, look, everybody knows what comes after the Lions game, right? You've got Baltimore, you've got Tennessee, you've got Green Bay, you've got Tennessee again. The Colts need to focus on the Lions because this is a easy way to let a lot of the goodwill you built up with a four and two start slip through your fingers four and three feels a lot different than five and two yeah I, there's no question and and they can't waste wins I'm not saying I'm right you know considering this a win and I don't look at the schedule in that manner um, I just look at it in terms of okay this is a winnable game <laughs> so you you need to win it that's where they're at I mean if you're going to meet your goals right? And they have goals. They want to win this division. They think they still can. And on paper, they can. But if they want to do that, they got to win games like this because they got to, they're going to have work to do, and Tennessee is not going to do them any favors. So let, let this is a game they got to have. So I was just asked this on uh, – I was on with Joe and, and Jeff this morning, and, like, this is a playoff season, right? I mean, this has got to be a playoff season, be. right? Like, if you yeah. imagine if they don't make the playoffs – that would be five out of six years, which is not going to sit well with Jim Mersey. And you don't go out and pay a quarterback $25 million to go 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs. Plus, there's a seventh team that makes the playoffs now in the AFC and the NFC. That changes things, and that might be huge, huge for the Indianapolis Colts. So to make a long story short, 
you got to beat the Lions in games you're coming off the bye to get yourself in position to be able to afford a loss or two down the stretch when you're playing some of the best teams in football. Got to get the win on Sunday. Yeah, I I have no disagreement there whatsoever. I think that this needs to be a playoff season for this team. I think that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have have rightfully been given a lot of trust by this fan base because they they are definitely guys who have made good moves and have shown themselves to be very intelligent. But at some point, you got to have results. And I think when you go for it, and they're kind of going for it by some of the moves they made. Right. Uh, you, you gave a defensive lineman $20 million a year. It's not all about money, but I'm just saying you It speaks to your expectations, though, doesn't it? It does. Right. Exactly. It, it kind of tells us how you see your team. You don't pay so a quarterback you know $25 million if you're planning on building for the long haul. You know? It's <laughs> not a rebuild move. Right. That's, a, that's like... Let's go take this thing by the horns and win now move, right? So there's no question. So if you're if you're that team, you need to go to Detroit. You need to beat the damn Lions. <laughs> this is where I'm at with it, okay? I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm not going to – this team, this Lions team is very, very, very capable, okay? I am not overlooking the Lions, but I'm sorry. This team, this Colts team, has told us by virtue, as you said, of their moves and also the fact that they have acquired a lot of talent the last couple of years – they are a team that needs to win. So, go win. Uh, what, what kind of Philip Rivers do we see on Sunday? Don't ask me that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, That's an impossible question. I'm sorry. I think this is still one of the one of the hardest questions, not questions, but one of the one of the biggest variables of this season, right? It's not that I think he's going to go out there and play like he did in Cleveland because in reality, he's only done that once. I don't think I don't know that he's going to do that every week. I, I don't think that necessarily. But what I also don't know is whether he can do what he did against Cincinnati. You know, I mean, can he do that every week either, right? I don't think he is that guy necessarily. I think you nailed it on the head. Anything's possible. Yeah. We I don't really know. believe that. That's that's the fun part. It's the anxious part. It's the unpredictable part. I think they turned a corner at least briefly in that game against the Bengals and, and they mm-hmm. saw their quarterback step up and essentially win the game for them. But can they sustain that? That's going to be key because you're going to have to have some of that play in the next five weeks. You're going to have to have that. That's a great point. Yeah, you you cannot come through the upcoming stretch intact without getting some some elite moments from Phillip Rivers. That is not possible because you're going to see elite quarterbacks and you're going to see a lot of elite players on those other teams. So in order to come out of that in one piece – you got to counter that with some elite play from your own team. So it has to happen. And I want to turn the page a little bit from the offense because we have spent a lot of time talking about the offense in recent weeks, and I think for good reason. But yeah. I'm starting to, to see that maybe we've, we've lost focus on something here. And tell me what you think. I think the defense, which has been mostly fabulous this year, mostly, I think the defense actually has loomed very, very large here in recent games. And not in a good way. And and what I mean is they've played well overall, but all that goodwill goes to waste when you're spotting teams three touchdown leads. That can't happen. Now, I know they had some tough situations uh, against Cleveland in terms of field position and all those things are are certainly taken into account. But what happened in the last two first halves of the past two games cannot happen. All right? Because – 
what they're doing is they are completely undermining their offense because their offense is already having issues. Can't right? you can't trying to handicap yeah, yeah. the offense like that? They're already trying to sort of engender themselves on offense and all that. And then when the defense goes and does that, now you know, poor Jonathan Taylor. He's like, all right, well, we're down three touchdowns. What do you want me to do? You know, so yeah. it's it's tough. And and I think they are getting themselves out of their own character. And that's why their offensive identity these last two games has been really hard to identify because they can't be who they want to be. So, look, I think that is a key. Uh, is this defense – it's what we've seen the last two games in these first halves from this defense, in your opinion. Is that – is is that what we're going to continue to see, or or is that the the outlier performance? I, I'm going to say outlier, and I will eat my words if I'm wrong. But mm-hmm. here's my explanation. Um, I've seen this defense for six games. I'm going to take the body of work. I'm going to take the preponderance of evidence, and I'm going to I'm going to say I, I'm I'm buying the Colts defense. I am. I believe in every level of it. I believe in the line. The linebackers are terrific, and I'm buying the the secondary. And I was very skeptical, and you remember this in August and. July. I mean, we were both like, eh, I don't know about the secondary. I'm <laughs> buying him now because of guys like Xavier Rhodes and Kari Willis has been really good. And we've talked a lot about Blackman. But if you look at the games, and, and I took the two games against the Bengals and the Browns, and they allowed 44 points in the first half. The defense did. And they allowed three total points in the second half. How are they so different? How are those <laughs> two halves so different? Look, I don't think you're going to get a lot of fumbles from Jack Doyle. Un, un, you know, untouched, mm-hmm. no contact fumble. That happens once every 25 years with him. Right. Short fields for the for the offense. Um, and 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 I just think I it, to me it just felt like they were strange anomalies. It just felt like they were strange situations where the offense, the opposing offense, had a short field and they just punched it in. And then the Colts were able to settle down, and they frankly they dominated the rest of the way. The Colts' defense was fantastic in Cleveland after the what first quarter, second quarter. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Absolutely terrific. They held Baker to nothing in the second half, made him look terrible. I think it was two completions total. After the first quarter against the Bengals, now granted they were down 21, dominated the rest of the way. You know, So um, I'm taking the full breadth of evidence that I have, and I'm buying the defense. I think those were strange first halves. But to your point, it's really a good one because – you can't do that. You can't do that against the Lions, and you definitely can't do that against the teams you're going to play in November because they will beat you, and those games won't be close, and they won't let you back in. Yeah, and I think in this particular game, I think I said this on our, our last episode, I think Darius Leonard being back, I'm not saying that he alone can prevent those kinds of breakouts by the opponent, but yeah, I do but, think <laughs> I do think it matters. I mean, he is if there's one, of the one best guy. defensive players in football, right. Right, right. If there's one guy who's going to say, not today, okay, not today, this is not going to happen, this, that's the guy, okay, he's the guy. And I think sometimes when you get into a swoon like that on defense, you know, what what has happened? They're getting teams to third down, and they're holding on for dear life, and then they give up a play, and it's a first down, right? That That is what's happening in these situations a lot of times. It's not like they're just giving it up. They're they're making them work for it, but they're giving up these points and these drives, and they're often ending in touchdowns in those two situations we talked about. Now, what's my point? When you get to that third down, what do you need? You need a playmaker. You need somebody to go say, "My football, yep. that's mine." What is or Darius somebody Leonard to just do? say, "We're getting off the field, damn it!" He and I think plays. that's Darius. That is Darius Leonard. 
And and to transition from that, what's the one thing we mentioned this the other day? What's the one thing you need on those third and longs? They've been in so many third and longs, and they've they've allowed completions. Hmm. They need a pass rusher who can finish, who can get home. And I think Toure is going to be that guy down the stretch. I don't know if he's ready in the next couple of weeks, and it might take him some time, but. You know that could be an element they need to they need to get better at. If there's one thing about the defense you're just not sold on quite yet, it's the pass rush, and you're going to need that against guys like Jackson and Rodgers and even Tannehill. But um, yeah, let's not discount the fact that one of the best players in football, Darius Leonard, hasn't been on the field the last two games. His return Sunday is huge. It's absolutely huge. Him and Buckner up front on those first two levels. That's a tough. That's a tough team to play against. Yeah, and I want to just add one note on the pass rush, which I think is so, so urgent right now for them. I, I think the last couple minutes of the Cincinnati game, which we've probably forgotten now, by now, two weeks ago, I think there's some evidence there that we should pay attention to. What did they do? They blitzed Joe Burrow like crazy in that last series. And what did it do? It led to an interception that basically uh, sealed the win. Now, Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford are obviously on a different level in terms of experience and dealing with those kinds of things. So I'm not suggesting that that's the answer. It's like this this easy wild card you just throw out there and and, and you beat the quarterback. But all I'm saying is I, I do think their lack of pass rush right now, until they get to Ray Rowland, and if he is what we hope he is, until they do that, I do think they need to sprinkle in maybe a little more blitz. Uh, they, can't, you can't let these quarterbacks sit in the pocket on fourth, or excuse me, on third down, and and pick you apart. And and I'm not, I don't hate the defense. I love what they're doing, but but you're putting too much pressure on your back seven, and their back seven is playing really well in most cases. But man, I it, they need a little help there on that pass rush. So maybe this might be time. You know, to, to utilize that opportunity to blitz from time to time. I mean, people are going to be surprised by it because they don't do it a lot. So how much how much have they blitzed this year? I'm trying oh, to think of all the tape I've watched, and it's it's and it's not something Matt Eberflus does a lot, um, but it's minimal. They just rush four. That's basically the, the their last MO. time. The last time I looked at the numbers, uh, uh, we have a database at the Athletic. Uh, we use Sport Radar, and I did look at it recently. Not this week, but a couple weeks ago, they were like 31st in terms of blitz percentage. Yeah, I believe the, that. The percentage of, of plays that they blitz, it was like 31st in the NFL. So, And that's where they always are. I mean, they're always bottom five. And that's fine. I don't care how much you blitz. It, just, uh, it, the flip side is you don't give up a lot of big plays. You, those screen passes right. that, you know, four-yard catch turns into a 40-yard gain sometimes. Right. So there is a push and pull there. But, but anyhow, the point is, Figure it out. Get off the field. <laughs> okay. And you know I don't what? Care how you do it. If if you're gonna blitz, put twenty three down in the box and let him do his thing. Kenny Moore mm-hmm. is such a fun football player to watch. And it thought was this was a funny moment this week. You know, we were asked like, you know, what's your secret, Kenny? You're like the smallest guy in the field, and yet you're such a tenacious blitzer. And you're the smallest guy in this sea of em- enormous three hundred pounders that are all six yeah. four and six five. And Kenny kind of laughed and, and smiled and said. I can't give away the secret. You know, there's an art to what he's doing, and it's really fun to watch. And if you like football, you got to love watching Kenny Moore play. He's such a good tackler in the open field. I think he's one of the best I've seen in the in the seven or eight years I've covered this team. He's really great in the box when he blitzes. He's just great at finding those angles and those seams, and he's great in coverage as well. And he's just one of those quiet guys that, you know, you don't see his numbers jump off the page in the box score, but 
he wins you games with those subtle plays. And so if you're going to blitz, I love watching Kenny Moore get down there. And I think it's something that makes offenses a little worried because when you move that guy in there, he gets to the quarterback very, very quickly. Yeah, I think you pre-snap, they're always identifying where Kenny Moore is. There's no question about that because he is a variable. He's all over the place. They use him in different ways. I think back to the Houston playoff game a couple of years ago. I mean, he had a couple of huge plays in that game. I think an interception, I'm pretty sure he had a big sack on Deshaun Watson as well. Right. And and that's he has this this breadth of of various types of impact that he can have for you because he can do everything. So I think he's a wild card. And you talk about pass rush, well, I mean, use your best your your best players when it comes to getting to the quarterback. <laughs> and as much as it goes against logic, Kenny Moore is one of those guys. So we'll see. You can't go to the well too often. I get that. Right. And, and, and right. obviously you're taking him out of coverage. But uh, I do think in the right moments and at the right time, if you push the button at the right time, uh, they really have something there in, in Kenny Moore, no doubt about it. So let's talk. Uh, we, we already touched on the offense, but I want to circle back uh, in this to this matchup, right? So Colts-Lions, what does this look like? Uh, I, I think a couple of things I saw. I see Detroit's giving up four and a half yards per carry. It's not the worst in the NFL, but it might be an opportunity yeah. for the Colts. Uh, I, I don't think until they get this running game where they want it to be, I don't think they'll be the offense they thought they were going to be this year. I really don't. And, and it's do, not about do you think it ever rushing happens? attempts. It's not about like, rushing attempts. It's about it's about just having success rushing the ball. Yeah, it's, it, you can just do the eye test. But here's yeah. my question: Do you? Do you think the the running game is ever going to get rolling to the point where Frank Reich wants it? I don't think so because Marlon Mack's not playing. That's as simple as it is for me. And, and I got nothing against Jonathan Taylor, but I think every week you're seeing how good Marlon Mack is because they well, don't have that. I think this. I, I think that it made it infinitely harder. <laughs> There's no question about it. Yeah. When Marlon Mack went down. And, you know, look, I think here's your evidence about uh, rookie running backs or rookies in general. I think you know we could, we see rookie running backs succeed a lot of times, and and we think it's just sort of plug and play, and it is on some level. But there are a lot of things that go into it. I mean, you know, you see it in Kansas City right now. They have a rookie who's who's balling out right now, and I think everyone thinks, oh, well, anybody, first of all, <laughs> that's the Chiefs. Okay, <laughs> if I'm a running back, I'm going to Kansas City, man. <laughs> he's got he's got Patrick Mahomes, so you know. Talk to you think me he's ever he's... seen an eight-man box? I doubt it. I <laughs> exactly. Doubt it. Exactly. So anyhow, talk about apples and oranges. But but I think think back to here's your evidence. Think back to Marlon Mack's rookie year. Okay, it was it was frustrating at times because yeah. he would either get it felt like he would either give you a twenty-yard run or he'd get a minus two. <laughs> and you yeah. like what is wrong he, with this guy? He was a liability in, in protection as well. That's right. Yeah, but they but he was protected a little bit because he had Frank Gore there to kind of school him and I think he took those lessons in. It's not just the learning necessarily, but it's also not having to do everything uh, right out of the gate. And he didn't, you know. He was able to split those carries. Uh he was able to 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 come in uh at times and and have his series here and there, but not necessarily have to be an every down guy or or have the majority of the pressure on him. He he never had that, right? And and I think that allows you to learn a lot more. Jonathan Taylor has not been afforded that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to be well, it'll be good for his development in the long run, but for right now, it's tough on him, I think, you know. So it it'll in the long term, he'll be better for this. But right now, 
uh, man, it's on the job training and it's hard. You know, so yeah. I think that's where he's at. Uh, but but I do think you asked me, do I think it'll ever get there? I I think it's getting better. I I see progress. What they have to do is is play their game, which means don't get down by twenty one, and it means <laughs> set up the set up the pass with the run. And I think those kinds of things. They get back to who they are. I think this is going to sound crazy. I think they need to do the opposite. I think they need to set up the run with the pass. Yeah. I think they I, need to prove they can throw it like they did against the Bengals. It goes both ways. Yep. Yeah. And, and and Frank knows this and Frank talked about this in his self scout that he kind of went through with the offense and rivers last week. Like I think you need to be a little bit more aggressive and believe in your quarterback and just see what happens. Cause if you can move the ball down the field and rivers proved he can make those touch throws, those 20, 30 yard throws and, you got to get Johnson. You got to get vertical with him and, and get some T.Y. deep throws in there. And I think that's going to make Jonathan Taylor's life a little bit easier. Because right now, if you're a defense, how do you stop the Colts? You shut down the run game and you try to make Rivers beat you. And until one half against the Bengals, he couldn't do it. So um, they need to be less one-dimensional, more creative. And I think it starts with the pass, which is what will set up the run. And Frank said it this week. He's like, look, we're not going to get away from our DNA. We're going to be a run-first football team, but I think you need to help the run game by by still sprinkling in some downfield passes, and I think you need to commit to that because that's how you beat the Bengals, and I think that's the only way to win moving forward because if you just are a run-first, run-only team without any you know guts to take those downfield shots, then we're looking at the 2019 tape all over again, and nobody wants to watch that again. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So we can look back at last season and the early portion of that season, the first seven or eight games, what happened there? We saw Jacoby Brissett have some success throwing the football, not downfield per se, but but certainly short and intermediate throws. We saw him have some success with that. Why were we seeing that in many cases? Uh, they certainly were setting up the pass with their run, right? It wasn't yeah. the other way around last year. Now, that doesn't mean 
they shouldn't do both. You have to do both, and they have the ability to do both now. So I think, and and I think this is exactly right. I think you saying what you said versus what I said actually, there's a point there. And my point is, or the point is, you have to keep the defense guessing. <laughs> and I think yeah. sometimes that they was have what gotten, Frank Reich was so good at in yeah. eighteen. Right? It they felt feel like predictable the defense had no now. idea what was coming. And yeah, I don't I, know if I feel that that often this season, but we'll see. This offense has, at times this year, has been a little predictable. I mean, yeah. there's I been, for example, on, on first down, he got away from this the last couple of games just because of the deficits. But but I think up through the Chicago game, we saw on first down, it was like, okay, well, we know where this is going. Second and long. <laughs> yeah. Run for one. <laughs> It's like tradition <laughs> it's like, around here. Get away from that. Yeah. Right. It's like, what is this fascination with third and seven? <laughs> you know what I mean? Gosh. Like, it's like, do you love it that much? You know, so I, I think that's what it boils down to is, you know, I said set up the run or set up the pass with the run. You say set up the pass, uh, set up the run with the pass, excuse me. You got to do both. It's the bottom yeah. line. You, you sh- the defense shouldn't be able to really, to be able to, to be so predictive of what you're going to do and and i think they have to get away from that so that's on frank reich and nick sirianni i think to 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 understand that and to foresee those things and that's where the self-scouting comes in and they've been doing that uh, over the bye week i'm i'm really interested to see i don't think it's going to be like an overhaul of the offense or anything like that but but i do think they're going to be i do think they recognize that i guess is what i'm saying and i'm, I'm yeah, interested and to think- see how, how it informs their play calling. Yeah, that's a good point. And that, that's fascinating because, you know, when I think of Frank Reich as a play caller, oftentimes the first thing that comes to mind is creativity. He's really good at moving guys around and doing a lot of different things within his offense that is hard to predict, right? Um, another element to this, and this is something Ballard has, has harped on since the day he got here, is November and December football. What wins? You win up front. And yeah. I think, you know, I asked Jack Doyle an interesting question the other day. I said, why is this team better prepared to handle the last two months of the season than last year's was? Very similar records, right? Five and two a year ago, four and two now. And Doyle thought about it, and 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 he said, "Look, we we're winning different ways right now." And I think he's onto something. They've had to mm-hmm. win with defense this year. They've had to win with offense. They've won with spectacular special teams. That unit's been very solid, and that matters when your offense isn't that good. Um, and I think talk about November like, and December last yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I don't, I don't want to think back to that. But you think about what's going to win against these really good teams, right? You got to go back to the the simple nature of football is like you win up front, and that's where they lost it last year. And you got to win with that offensive line. It needs to be better. It needs to return to one of the best in football. And then you got a guy like Buckner on the defensive line, and you're adding a guy like Toure. And um, I think that's what's sustainable. And if they're going to do anything this year in terms of making it to the playoffs and winning a game possibly and trying to jump into that next level with Tennessee and Pittsburgh and Baltimore and KC, I think it starts up front. I don't think it's that I don't think it's that complicated. It starts up front. You do that well, then the offense will start rolling. Then the defense will continue to make turnovers. But um, don't overlook the the upfront guys because that's I think where this team is better than they were a year ago. And I think Buckner is a huge a huge difference maker in that category. Yeah, so uh, before we get out of here, I want to transition to a couple of stories we had on our our site this week. So I'll start with one that I published today, uh, not because I wrote it, but just because I think the topic is really important. And it's a, especially it's a feature on Xavier Rhodes on theathletic.com right now. And 
I will tell you, Zach, I had, I texted you this after the, after the interview, you, you thought I was lying. I had the most insightful conversation with Xavier Rhodes. And so why is that surprising? Because we've interviewed this guy a number of times and it's always sort of like, okay, let's get this over with because he's not going to say anything. I mean, nothing. And he's a Less nice guy. Less than nothing. Less yeah, than nothing. Nice guy. It's like interviewing Quentin uh, Nelson. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I don't know. I couldn't figure out, like, how do you get this guy to to give you anything, right? I mean, we here he is. He's having a great season. We can't get this guy to tell us anything. And so, anyhow, I, I got on the phone with him yesterday, and for whatever reason, we connected, and it, we I had a rapport with him, and sometimes it just happens. And the point is, uh, he really went into some real depth about why he's being successful this year. Let me tell you something. First of all, I dug into the numbers. This guy last year was awful. I mean, Dude, the, awful. I watched the tape. I watched the tape. It was bad. Awful. He gave up, I think, over 70% of completions on passes where he was targeted. 70, 70%. 79%. 79%. Ridiculous. This year, check this out, 45% completion percentage. Better than Jalen Ramsey and better than Stephon Gilmore. Go figure. And this is the Xavier Rose who got that $70 million contract a few years ago. This is the guy. This is why he did it. This is why they gave it to him. And so there's a couple of things here. Number one, how does it, How does he go from that to this? And it's a couple of things. He really credited the Colts scheme. And what it is is, and I, I thought this was a big factor, but he confirmed it. Uh, this scheme is a lot less complex than Minnesota's. It's not that he can't play in a complex scheme. It's just that here it promotes playmaking. Because they don't want you bogged down thinking about A, B, C, and D. They want you to think, okay, A or B, and then go play. Yeah. And and so that's what it. That's the whole concept. And when you guys you sit there and you you scream at your TV and like, why don't they do this or why don't they do that on defense? Well, this is why. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you there's merit to it. I understand why they do it. Right. This is why the defense is simplistic, because you go get playmakers and you let them play. And Xavier Rose, man, I'm telling you, in terms of athleticism, instincts, this guy is off the charts. He's off the charts. I mean, he breaks on a football and it's over. And, and you're so, seeing that. Yes. I mean, you're seeing that every Sunday. And, and this was an interesting quote from him. He's like, look, being in the league for as long as I have, I knew there were only a few routes they could run. I was able to eliminate a bunch of them. This is exactly what you're just talking about. I look at down and distance. And once I narrowed it down, I can just play fast. That's something we've heard over and over since Matt Eberflus take over. Right, it's a rushing cover defense. The, the rushers go get the quarterback. The rest just cover, and it sounds simple, but when it works, you're seeing guys like Xavier Rhodes really just revive his career. Yeah, I mean, it has been fascinating to watch. And the other thing he said was, and and Justin Houston confirmed this too. He is just a stickler for watching hours and hours of tape, and he feels when you combine that with. Uh, with his experience, as he described just now in Zach, the quote that Zach read, when you combine that with his experience, uh, he really feels like he has the upper hand in a lot of a lot of these matchups. So we'll see how that pays off as the as the league of of, of quarterbacks that they're going to face as that gets more and more elite. We'll see if it pays off. I mean, this is a great example on Sunday. He's going up against an old nemesis from the NFC North in Matt Stafford. So. So certainly that's going to be a test for him. I mean, Matt Stafford has seen it all, and he knows Xavier Rhodes uh, better than most. So so this is going to be a, a little bit of a subplot I think you should watch. Uh, we saw him go against 
the Vikings earlier this year. It's it's interesting that he's playing yeah. the NFC North this Two season. Two picks, right? Yeah. Yeah, we saw him go against the Vikings uh, this year, or earlier this year. Adam Thielen, okay, did he have a big day? I don't think so. Right? so uh, Nobody he has, had a big day for the Vikings that day. No. And, and the last point I'll make is the, the, the Colts have given up a couple of big days to receivers. I think Allen Robinson had a 100-yard game, and I believe – there was one other. Maybe I bet Robinson game. had a lot of that on that last drive after the game yeah. was decided. I could be wrong, but that's how it felt to me. Well, what I can tell you is that those yards are not coming against Xavier Rhodes. That's okay. the bottom line. Uh, they move those guys around to get them matched up on different corners, obviously, but Xavier Rhodes is off the charts so far this year, and I, I cannot tell you how shocked I am. <laughs> I, cannot tell you. I thought it was going to be a disaster. I really did. The tape, the tape was awful last year. It was awful. It was. I watched it, and I was like, I don't know about this move. Yeah, I thought Chris Ballard had lost his damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyhow, he they did get, kudos to them, the Colts, for making the projection, okay? Because they didn't know. They just projected. They thought, and they hoped, and they, and and they, they were confident. And this is – an underscored thing, but you believe in your coaches. Alan Williams, yes. you know, a very respective secondary coach. Jonathan Gannon, who I think is terrific in the back end yeah. for the Colts. And another element to this, real quick, is who who follows uh, Xavier Rhodes around everywhere. Like I saw this yesterday oh, on the yeah. practice field. 26, man. Rocky Rock is all over Xavier Rhodes. And Justin Houston mentioned this. He's like, everywhere you walk, you see those two are together. So you're seeing the veteran mentor, the youngster, and, and – Rocky Sin's playing a lot better this year as well. Yeah, I, I love that. That is, when you bring veterans in, you want them to do more than just just collect a check, okay? And and that's what I love about the veterans that they have. You see that with Justin Houston. Uh, you see that with, I know Danico Autry, for example, has, has been a big mentor for Taekwon Lewis, for example, right? So uh, you, you're seeing that with a lot of their veterans, and I, I love that. I think uh, Julian Blackman, for example, you know, he has taken to a lot of the veterans uh, on this defense and really has has emulated uh, their work ethic, for example, and he's enjoying success. These things don't happen by accident, you know? You right. have to prepare yourself to have success. So anyhow, uh, I'll let you have the floor, Zach. Uh, I thought the Philip Rivers – feature you had this week uh i mean we've gotten to know him a little bit a little bit but i think that really gave a window into who he is so you tell people what they missed yeah i mean i'll be honest i thought this guy was a cocky jerk for a long time i think a lot of colts fans hated him he, he knocked the manning colts out of the playoffs a couple times he was yelling at colts fans at the rca dome he's always talking trash he's got this weird ugly throwing motion um and man, as soon as he signed with the Colts, I started making calls and I would talk to old teammates and coaches and and they're like, dude, listen, like everyone thinks he's this villain. He is the greatest human being I've ever played with, like ever. Like Charlie Whitehurst, touchdown Jesus. You remember him? He's with the Colts for 15 minutes. He's like, I hated this guy. I hated him. He beat me in college. He was talking trash. He's like, dude, 15 minutes after he was at the team facility when I was at the Chargers, like He's my favorite teammate of all time. Every teammate he's ever had would say that. So I couldn't even get these guys off the phone. I could not even get them off the phone. They just yep. wanted to keep talking about Phillip Rivers. So there's a million stories in here about, you know, stunts he would pull in college, you know, trash-talking college students, um, almost fighting Von Miller, you know, the Pizza Hut buffet he'd have back in <laughs> high school in between two-a-days, losing in video games with his teammates, sneaking into the facility, just tons of stuff. I really do think... He's one of the more interesting NFL court characters we've had in a long time. This this was a fun guy to write about. 
And I think it's interesting, his teammates, his new teammates, they have also discovered this because they didn't know him. Most of them are young anyway, and they don't know anything about Philip Rivers, right? And right. His, his real heyday was before they even got in the NFL in many cases. I and mean, so, Naheem Hines grew up in grew up yeah. in Raleigh and was 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 like six years old when Rivers was like starting for the <laughs> Wolfpack. So I mean, that's how long right. he's been doing this. Yeah, and and so it's been fun to to see those guys kind of come to learn who he is. You know, um, to watch the banter between him and the linebackers, for example, who talk all the time anyway. Okay, Darius Leonard. The, I right. mean, the only guy who can who can match Philip Rivers word for word on the practice field is Darius Leonard, who never shuts the hell up. And what do but they do during practice great. every day? They go back and forth all practice. It's great. I mean, that is that is what that is what you want from your team in practice. And I think it's it's so interesting. I mean, anybody who's done a job for a long time, right? I mean, we've done this I've done this for 20 years. There there are days when I'm like I need to pick me up cuz I'm like, all right, I am over this, <laughs> right? I mean, we right. all go through that. And so imagine playing football for 17 years. You go through the drudgery of practice and meetings. And it's a, you're a quarterback. It's a 12 hour day every freaking day. It sucks. And he right. loves it. No, he and loves th- it. that's a great segue. Like, real quick, I'll add one quote from, from Nick Hardwick, his longtime center. He was like, do you know how many times we're in a one o'clock Sunday game and it's just kind of going along like a normal game and then Rivers just starts yapping? And it goes from an 8 to a 10.5 real quick. You know how much fun that is? You know, those are Hardwick's words. So they just loved having this guy in the building. And the interesting thing, and you wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, is like how many Chargers fans like just absolutely love this guy, adore this guy. And they've been oh. sending me messages about like, you know, this is who he is. This is what we loved for so long. And we hope Colts fans appreciate how unique he is. Look, I know he needs to stop throwing interceptions. I get that. But um, a very unique character, and it says everything. I mean, he was voted a captain by the players, and he replaced a very popular guy in Jacoby Brissett. The fans might not love Jacoby out there. Everyone in the building absolutely loves Jacoby, and the fact that they hired this $25 million (laughs) mercenary to come in and take Jacoby's job, and that guy has since become one of the most popular guys in the locker room, that's very telling. Yeah, I totally agree. So anyhow, that was – I thought those two stories were – were really uh, worth your subscription if you, you know, if you are um, one of our prize subscribers, we we appreciate that from you. And you know, those are the types of stories we want to bring you. We want to want you to learn something. We want you to to walk away uh, feeling like you know more about your team. And and I will just tell you the the addition of Philip Rivers it has it has certainly been a boon on the field in many ways. But but I think the off the field, uh, what he brings off the field is is huge too. Just the enthusiasm and, and just him being him, I think that matters. And I think this team uh, has gotten a boost from that. No question about it. So anyhow, uh, Colts, Lions on Sunday. Back from the bye, Darius Leonard. We think back in the lineup, maybe Michael Pittman. We'll find out maybe this weekend. We'll see how that goes if he makes the trip. So this could, could be a really interesting matchup. Stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap it up uh, on Monday uh, to look back at the game. And we'll have certainly coverage throughout the day on Sunday. So Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better.